Welcome to the game. It's a beautiful thing. With Mark Duffield. By golly gosh. The son of a darkened shearer and a self-described ball-playing jack of all trades. We shouldn't be surprised, should we? Who lit up footy fields in the southwest before becoming WA's preeminent AFL scribe. My goodness. And Glenn Quarterman. Wow, we proud Victorian parked permanently in the West who would have played 300 AFL games if not for his incredibly small hands. Goodness gracious me. Together they are Duff Duff and Quarters. quarters. You know who. And this is your favourite footy podcast. It's unbelievable. Yes, hello. It is Tuesday. Time for the first edition this week. Of the Duff and Quarters podcast, we are brought to you by Tab Touch. Those with a touch, better your bet. Download Tab Touch today. Please gamble responsibly. Please call Gamble's Help on one eight hundred eight five eight eight five eight if you encounter any difficulties. Back from holidays down south, we have Glenn Quartermain, and while he was away, Quarters lost his title as the ultimate blind squirrel. No, yes, Jordan McArdle sat. Not in your chair, but over the other side of the studio. And he declared that North Melbourne would beat Richmond. And lo and behold, North Melbourne beat Richmond. He was using the first game under new coach theory. And it's a good theory. And mm. it, it came home for him. So that, that trumps my Melbourne's first loss since um, Hitler was a child? Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, not since Noah was a kid, but I'm since Hitler sure, was a kid. I'm not yeah. sure... Um, whether I want that title or not, the blind squirrel. The blind squirrel. Mm. I, I believe it's made you famous. Or it has. Down. Had a gentleman come up to me just the weekend before last and uh, call me the blind squirrel. I had to <laughs> hold up my hands and show him. He really did. He's at a party. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and I held up my hands, didn't say a word. He said, they are small. <laughs> so the blind squirrel, has it, it has given me some fame, Duff. Thank you. Okay. So there's a lot to talk about today. Fremantle's lost Sydney's win in Perth, which was a, a big one for them. Uh, West Coast, again, okay for three, terrible for one. The North Melbourne victory. And, of course, Geelong firming as flag favourites. Not do you want with to start, me. What do you want to start with, yeah, Well, I'll start with Geelong. Yeah. Very impressive at, at the moment. And ha- at the moment, they're the form team. But I'm still on Melbourne. I still see more upside for Melbourne, but playing very well uh, Geelong. And the one thing about Geelong is, I think it was a few years ago, we were questioning their form on the MCG. Their form's been very good in the MCG the last two years. So it's shaping up. They're the two for me. It's shaping up at the moment, Geelong-Melbourne. Be a crackerjack grand final. Yeah, a bit early to declare. No, it's not. I think, I, I think Geelong are the form team at the moment. Now, whether that makes them flag favourites or not, who knows? I think Melbourne are a bit scratchy, um, but they did get their job done against Port Adelaide in the red centre on the weekend. Um, interestingly, the Battle of the DeConnings, the younger brother mm. won Gee, they're good. Um, and played very well on Harry Mackay. Sam DeConning uh, kept Harry Mackay to a single behind. They're very good, aren't they, the DeConnings? Yep. And both grew up being massive Carlton fans. Did they really? Both of them, yes. Okay. So it was very interesting last weekend. Who will be the better player? Oh, jeez. I reckon Sam. Do you? Why? Well, I think if it wasn't for Nick Dacos, who we'll touch on a bit later, because another unbelievable performance from him, but I think if it wasn't for Nick Dacos, I think Sam DeConning would be a pretty good thing for the rising star. Mm -hmm. Not Jay Newcomb? Uh, Not Jay Newcomb. Inside bull, second year? Yeah, no. Dacos just racking him up at half-back, easy kicks? 
Uh, well, hello. Easy kicks at half back. 40 and three goals. I'm just being the devil's advocate here. Getting forward a little bit. Um, but anyway, you know, I think Sam, given the jobs he has to do week in, week out, and the aplomb with which he's doing them. Oh, terrific player. Um, you know, like, no doubt that Nick Dacos, I think, is the odds-on favourite for that award. But Sam DeConning, in a normal Rising Star year, would be a very worthy winner of that award. Yeah, it's a, it's a good field this year, isn't it? It's a very good it field. It normally is a pretty quality field, let's be honest. But this year, it just seems to have something about it this year. Yeah. I like the Cats at the moment because I think what they've done, like we've criticised them for being old, um, the Geelong men's home for the brilliant but aged. Well, they are old. Um, Doesn't mean they're not good, but they are old. Well, I think they've put speed around the age and the ability. So Stengel is quick. Close is quick. Isaac Lewis. Uh, Isaac Smith. Isaac Smith. There you go. He's left Hawthorne. I've already forgot his surname. (laughs) See you later, Isaac. You're confusing your Hawthorne Premiership players there, but Isaac Smith is a great runner. Um, They've put speed around these players, and I think that's that's enabled them to extend them out for another year. And the other thing is that, obviously, Jeremy Cameron giving them the Hawkins-Cameron one-two punch Mm. means they're very potent forward to centre. Still got to do it in finals. Still wait and see how that plays out. Player to come back in too. T. Stewart. Tommy Stewart, yes. He's pretty handy in. Oh, very handy in. Arguably the best defender in the comp. Well, I don't, I'm don't. i not even sure that's an argument okay, there this you go. year. Yeah. I think before he um, donged Dion Prestia, I think he was probably clearly the best defender in the comp. All right. Your boys? Uh, yeah, I thought they got outthought. And I think that – it's look, it's an interesting thing. I'm not a um, – I'm not a person that's down on the inclusion of Nathan Fife, but you have to accept the strengths and weaknesses which come with Nathan Fife playing. They have the Nathan Fife in the midfield. Nathan Fife looks a bit heavy to me, and like the first thing I'd be doing between now and the the six or so weeks when the finals start is I'd be trying to get three kilos off him because mm. I think he's a bit heavy and cumbersome. He looked very sluggish and grumpy on the weekend. So they're so good with conditioning now. In the lead up to return, but really, there's nothing like match fitness. Nothing like match fitness. So, so, I mean, he has been out for a long time. Yeah, no, he's had it. Look, he's had a, a three severe interruptions to a preparation. That's hard to, to get over. And sometimes that means that when he comes back, he'll be really fit and fresh. And sometimes it means he'll just be underdone. And, and they've got six weeks to decide which that is going to be. The problem is when the opposition has the ball, yep. Nathan Fife and David Mundy make it harder for them to defend. That's just a fact. It's a fact because of Nathan Fife's preparation, and it's a fact because of David Mundy's age. So can you have two of them out there at once? I think you've got to try and get Fife forward more and try and make him an attacking threat, mm. which he was against uh, St Kilda the previous week. He kicked three goals, and that was when he was a big plus for the team. I think Fife's played five since his return now. I think he's been okay once, good twice, and... Poor twice, and I think he was poor on the weekend. And if I'm going to look at the glass half full from an overall perspective, three goals after half time, and you lost by 17. It's not bad. I mean, I, I see a lot of upside still. I'm not getting carried away about top four, Duff. I think top four is still very much attainable. You look through. We'll look through their draw in a moment, but it doesn't bother me that much. I think top six would be a great result for Frio if we're looking back from last year. I think top eight was what the expectation was from a lot of people. I think top six would be even better than that. Top four would be the absolute cherry on top. And it's still within their grasp. But right now, I look at the performance of the weekend. Great performance by Sydney, by the way. And how good is Chad Warner? Chad Warner's a star. He's an absolute star. Um, Pick 40 in that draft. Um, And that was the draft when West Coast traded out. They traded out of that draft to get 
Tim Kelly in. Mm. And they'd be looking at that now and they're going, Ooh. oh. he's a good player, Chad. He's, he's just an enormous runner. He's got a strong body. And you know the other thing, like midfielders can get into a comfort zone where they go, okay, I'm getting 30 doing this, so I'm just going to keep doing that. Chad Warner presses forward. He goes outside his comfort zone. He tries to be aggressive. He tries to be dangerous. He's a great inside 50 player. He kicked a big first, a third quarter goal on the weekend, and he could have kicked two, missed one just before three-quarter time. So he's a super player. He's got all of those qualities, and he's got that other attribute that very rare few have, nice mongrel. Yeah, a bit of mongrel. But nice mongrel. Yeah. When I say about nice mongrel, I mean you can see him antagonising an opponent, but as soon as it's a dead ball... Uh, it's he just has a laugh. Yeah, it's like I didn't mean it. It's just having, yeah, it's footy. Yeah, and off he, and he, on he goes to the next contest. I love the way he plays footy. Bit of swagger, but not too much. Yeah, absolutely fits him well with the Bloodstained Angels. I reckon their whole ethic, the way they go about their footy. Yeah, they're, look, they're a dangerous team, Sydney. They're going to be um, they're going to be dangerous because they've got elite kicking skills, and so dry weather September. Um, you know, Sydney will be able to kick through opposition pressure like they did. To Fremantle on the weekend, they just worked out a way to beat the Fremantle pressure and executed it very well. And Fremantle were a bit powerless to stop it. I think where Fremantle let themselves down a bit is that, okay, so maybe they couldn't stop Sydney at least until Sydney got inside attacking fifty. But Fremantle had to show some more dare and imagination with the ball, and they got locked into a um, because they were struggling to defend Sydney. They got locked into we can't cough up too much score, so therefore we're going to be really conservative with the ball and that to me hurt them I think Luke Ryan has to work out there's a right side of the ground when he takes kick-ins because mm-hmm. he always goes the same way he always goes to the same spot and the opposition now always sets up to defend that spot and that's what happened on the weekend at some point you got to have enough dare to go out the other side and try and take some territory even if you just plant one of your quick blokes in the middle um, get one guy to break to the outer side get him to get the ball and he kicks it to grass down the outer wing and back your quick bloke to get to it first I think that um, they need to try something different because they're getting a bit predictable there. The other thing I'll say is that Griffin Logue is a very important signature for Fremantle to get. He His job on Lance Franklin, yeah. I don't think Lance Franklin's contract talks were done any favours by that because he wasn't just beaten by Griffin Logue, he was absolutely dominated. But his only goal in the game came because of Jordan Clark's ill-discipline down the other end, giving giving Sydney a kick out of the middle. And apart from that... Griffin pretty much won convincingly every one-on-one matchup that he had with Lance Franklin. Can you see any legitimacy to him actually leaving Sydney? I, I can't. I just think that it's been a match matchup that's been really good for both parties, but let's not forget there's no premiership yet, which is the contrast between this and Dusty Martin. Now, after the end of this year, is there another flag in this group of Richmond players? I suspect not. Well, there's not now. I, I suspect there's not. So, therefore, if Dusty said to Richmond at the end of this year, look, I want to go. I want to go live in Sydney. I want to be out of the limelight. You know, If you're asking me the core, I think that's going to happen. You I mean, don't think they're winning a, anywhere near winning a flag this year. Yeah. I think it's a big rebuild. I think there's a lot about Richmond, age profile, everything, all their dem, all their the great traits of Richmond are no longer there, I reckon. And I think he's going to Sydney next year. And, and you know what, Richmond supporters, it should be with your blessing with what he's given you. I think it should be. I'm it's gonna, very hard for supporters to give their blessing, but I think... Well, hang on. You know what? Buddy Franklin, when he left Hawthorne, yeah, gritted teeth, but 
we owed him nothing. He owed us nothing. It was yeah. two premierships. Two flags, yeah. And I thought, I understand. It's a Sydney move. You want to go out there, start a family, all of that. That's great. Oh, hello. Small matter of $10 million yeah, I know. nine years. Also, well. yeah, of course. But also, from our point of view, if you look at it that way, also... I'm tipping when Lance sat down to nut that out. It was the money, yeah. <laughs> well, no, but... Oh, look, it'll be better for my family. Also loved up, mate. It was loved up. It was loved up. But look, we are, the point is, we, there's two premierships there. Hardly struggled after he left because reeled off two more. So um, would have hurt had he won one against uh, the Tigers. Is that a one in 14? Yeah. But look, I'll, I'll throw you another hypothetical. If it's not Sydney, I, it won't be a Melbourne club for obvious reasons. If it's not Sydney... What if, what if Clarko was to coach GWS and was to say, we'll prize you away just for the year, see where it takes us, just for a year? Do you reckon Clarko's as big a draw as, like, I know you've got love for Clarko because of the four flags. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you think he's as big a draw as some people think he is? I think he would be, I would like to see where GWS would go with him. And I think the AFL would too. I think he's still a very, clearly a good, very good coach. Look, forget... I think after the flags at Hawthorne, there were two years where it was like that no man's land and sort of in the finals. And and I think he stayed too long at Hawthorne. I think you can be too long with one group. I'd like to see what he could do with another group. And for me, the talent at GWS is perfect for him. I would, I'm just throwing it out there. If it's not Sydney, it'd be interesting, wouldn't it, if he went just downtown a bit or across the bridge? Yeah, it would be. I'm just – look – I think across the player group, I reckon Clarkson would be a good thing for GWS because we know he can coach. So there's always that question when a, a, a new untried coach comes in, can he coach? You know that Clarko can coach. He's, he's won four flags. He's a proven winner. So that's great. I'd like to see Alistair Clarkson at North Melbourne, to be honest. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think North Melbourne can't afford another untried coach and the best tried coach not coaching at the moment is Alistair Clarkson. It sort of makes sense in that he's a Melbourne man. Yeah. So, but if the dollars are there and if the opportunity's there, and he is very much driven, Clarko, by history. So I think he'd like to see... I think North Melbourne's got some potential. We saw it last weekend. They definitely have. And they're not going to go backwards from here, I don't think. No. But I just want to see what he could do with that GWS list. Yeah, well, one... A, p- a person who I would like to see get hold of the GWS list, and I would be fascinated to see what he can do with it, is Don Pike. Don Pike is he's a he's not a premiership coach, but he is a proven coach. Had Adelaide in the grand final, and Don Pike is a renowned ball movement coach. And again, example at the weekend, Sydney kicking through Fremantle's pressure. Uh, Don Pike would have had a lot to do with that. He, he understands how to shift the ball. And what does GWS have a lot of? They have a lot of very polished ball carriers and ball users. I'd be, I'd be fascinated to see what Don Pike could do with GWS. See, and I'd, he's already in Sydney. He is. I'd be thinking more long-term with him when Adam Simpson leaves West Coast, either as a CEO or a coach. Yeah, well, he does have that capacity. I mean, he's a, you know, he's a... Could be the first CEO coach. He's a qualified accountant. He's worked in big business. Give himself a raise. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's really, you know, I'm really intrigued by what... I think Buddy will stay at Sydney for one more year. I think it's all smokes and mirrors a little bit, to be honest. Well, also, I think the the other thing is that it's a bit of buyer beware with Buddy, too. You know, Griffin Logue was great on the weekend, but... Could Griffin Logue do that to Lance Franklin if Lance Franklin was anywhere near? He's going to, as we've seen this year, though, it's not. It's going to be more rare, but he's going to have weeks where he wins your games. 
I think still next year. So I still I think I'd like to see him stay at Sydney now. Someone said he's still top five power forward in the competition. No, I don't agree with that. I just so think- you got Mackay and Curnow at Carlton, both ahead of him. You've got Hawkins and Cameron at Geelong, both ahead of him. You've got um, Max King, even though Max King's in a bit of a funk. At well, the you've moment. got Ben King coming back into it. I'm unproven yet. But Tommy he- Lynch. At yeah. Richmond. I'm already up to six. You know what? I'm going to put Mitch Lewis ahead of him too, right now at Hawthorne. Well, he will be next year, yeah, probably. Yeah, I think he already is. But I'm, what my point is, he's not up there, but he can still win a game off his own boot. And if he wins you two or three in the year, then it's worth the deal, isn't it? Yeah. And I'd like, I think the romantics in us all, if they were to win a flag next year, because I don't think they will this year, he probably deserves one with Sydney. I don't, no one deserves a flag, mate. They're hard to win. I mean, Does I wrote, David Mundy deserve a flag? Does Nat Fife? I think they do. Did did uh, Robbie Flower at Melbourne? Yes, it, he did. It would be nice to see them win a flag. Well, as a Fremantle supporter, it would be really, 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 really I think, nice to see I them. think Patrick Dangerfield deserves a flag. Yeah, I think certain I players just give their all and deserve one. Yeah. And it, they, they, you don't get them. They don't hand, You don't shake a cornflakes box and they fall out. Otherwise, everyone would be walking around the street with one. True. All right, let's get on to West Coast versus Hawthorne. Two things out of this match, I reckon. Uh, that stuck out like uh, dogs' mm-hmm. nurries. Mm-hmm. Tom Barras, what a great player he's become. 18 marks, 30, well, no, 30 no. disposals. Yep. Um, no one goes harder at a ball in the air than Tommy Barras. No West Coast player has taken more marks in a game than he did at the weekend. Yeah. No, he they was... would have lost by eight had he not been there. He was magnificent, Tom Barras, yep. the weekend. And you're right, no one goes harder at the pill. I would have loved to have seen him play in the 70s and 80s. Not that there's not great power forwards in the comp now, but they were different back then. It was a different game. Mm. You had your Careys and your Brereton's, these types of players who would just go really hard, not just at the ball, but at the pack. Mm. I would have loved to have seen him. He would have held his own against those players. Oh, mate. he like Probably give him a touch-up on, on, on his day too. So, obviously, Tom's dad is the, the great journalist, Tony Barras, uh, the late great journalist, Wonderful Tony. guy. Great journo. Um, his mum, of course, is Danielle. Danielle comes from Jurda Cutup, which is just out of Hopeton, down in the south. The the people down there, they're pretty strong, sort of hardy, sort of folk. There's a bit of there's a fair bit of good Jurda Cutup breeding mm-hmm. in Tommy Barras. Uh, he's a big, strong, raw boned bloke. And if he was running into Dermot in midair, I'll tell you what, Dermot's probably more likely to feel it than Tommy Barras. Yeah. He's a big, strong boy, Tommy. Copped a couple in his day, Dermot. He did. I think he's got both hips replaced. I might be wrong there, but yeah, he copped a lot of, as you did, get hammered at centre-half forward back in the day. Anyway. The other thing was Luke Bruce. Mm -hmm. I I reckon Luke Bruce has a case as the most underrated gun small forward of his time. He's not underrated by Hawthorne people, and I reckon most... They they quietly put him on the trade table twice. Hawthorne supporters didn't. I was very happy when he stayed. He is a terrific footballer and one of the most beautifully balanced footballers I've seen. So football's a pretty simple game when you are in the right spot and you don't fall over and you don't fumble and you don't miss. So when did you last see Luke Bruce scrambling on his knees for a loose ball? No, no. Just keeps his feet. Keeps his feet. And he's clever. Hard to tackle. He's failed to kick 30 goals once in the last 10 years, I think. And that was 2020 when the games were shorter mm. and the season was shorter. Yeah. Um, he's He's been a remarkable player. Um, he's kicked 400-odd goals. So I think 475 now with the six he kicked on the weekend. Comes from the New South Wales. 
and a bit of a rugby background, yeah. which probably tells you how he, you know, the the tendency to stay on his feet and the great step he's got sideways. Cousin well. of Trent Barrett, so New South Wales State of Origin player, coach of Manly, coach of Can- coach of Canterbury Bankstown, cousin of Jai Cully made his debut for West Coast. Yep, um, had twelve disposals, eleven tackles. Yeah, so to me. What I liked about his game was that he was in the right place a lot. He was where the action was a lot. Just a few times, he's not quite ready to explode out of traffic or shrug off a tackle. So he was pulled down a few times. But I think let's see what he's got after another summer in the gym. I think we'll see a better player next oh, year. Obviously, he's got he's got huge upside. I liked what I saw at the weekend. And first game, of course, you're going to get caught a couple of times. And, of course, your boy, Jai Newcomb, very strong oh, yeah. out of the middle. Inside, I mean... Look, in a we'll talk about um, Nick Dacos because he would he would have every right to win that award, um, John Newcomb, as would DeConey. But uh, Nick Dacos, another forty possessions, three goals, um, and there, I, I was a bit facetious earlier when I was talking about the easy possessions he was getting. They're easier possessions when you're sort of playing loose at halfback. I wouldn't mind someone playing on him. Well, that's going to happen, isn't it? Well, it hasn't yet. Well, it's going to happen. Well, you know, too many. I love him. He's a great player who I think, you know, we're, we're looking at the start of a wonderful career at Collingwood. Probably we'll be talking about him in the same breath as your Pendlebury's at the end of it. I mean, this got this kid could reel off multiple Brownlows. I mean, he's so good. Um, but he needs, I'd like, I want to see him uh, with a bit of pressure on him and uh, see how he responds. And he'll have to fight his way through that, as all the good players do. I'm sure he's capable, but he'll go through a period where he doesn't get much of it because someone's hanging off him. But I want to see someone start hanging off him, Duff. 40 disposals, three goals. And as we discussed with Luke Bruce, he doesn't miss. No. You know, like, if you let, if you set Nick Dacos free, say, within 10 metres of the 50-metre arc, you're staring down the barrel of a goal. Because mm. he will run 10, go inside the arc, and he will kick the goal. And, and if there's a kick that sums him up, and probably sums up the bloody family, really, mm-hmm. it's the kick across ground that hits Josh in the game against Gold Coast at, at when the when the game was right on the line and Collingwood was still behind, and the kick was centimetre perfect, and then Josh ran to 50, and his kick was dead-eyed dick, gun barrel straight. And bang, Collingwood were back in the game. That's the Dacos family, isn't it? Oh, Peter. Oh, Just highlight after highlight after highlight. And Josh can play a bit too. How far can they go? Look, I, I'm still not sure because they're on a great run at the moment. They've won eight games in a row, but they've, but they've won a lot of close ones. Well, there's been maybe six by a couple of kicks. Yeah, so I, I don't know. Um, that I th- either says you're lucky... Or you're really well coached, or you've got the right personnel out there because you dig deep when it counts. Maybe it's a combination of all of them, but um, well, found okay. a way. And obviously, we talk about Dacos being a great finisher. They've got a few great finishers, Jamie Elliott. Of course, another one of their great finishers is going to be affected by a tightening of the AFL in the uh, oh, yes. lowering your body to draw <laughs> high contact freeze. You're talking about your favourite player, Jack Ginnivan. Jack Ginnivan, yes. Uh, it's you know what I was really interested. So the AFL, there's an edit going out. Uh, I'm not sure if it's already out there, but they are going to tighten up again on a player who drops his uh, drops his shoulders. Um, they they don't like the head high contact. They don't like the fact that players are forcing the head high contact for free kicks, which they've been doing for some time. And of course. When it works, it's mimicked at junior level, so they're worried about the flow and effect. I was interested to see Chris Scott yesterday saying, great 
great decision. I'm glad it's happening. Joel Selwood? <laughs> and you can't see me right now, but I'm I'm doing the Chris Scott with the arms out and the wobbly head. <laughs> really? Joel hasn't been getting away with this? Oh, he would say that Joel shrugs him up. He's oh, please, it. Chris. Please. <laughs> oh. Do you reckon Chris... Give me a spell. Do you reckon Chris ever went to Joel at any stage over the last 10 years and said, Joel, in the interest of football and in the interest of juniors not mimicking you, I want you to stop drawing high contact. I think freeze. Chris's answer to that would be, I don't have to tell Joel anything. <laughs> champion. That's what he would say. That would be his exact response. Of course he hasn't. Of course not. Anyway, well, look, let's see where this goes. But there have been players at every club doing it. Of course there are, but there are more blatant examples than others. Yes. And, and unfortunately for Ginevan, who I'm a bit hot on, Ginevan points his neck at the tackler and then lifts the arm so the, so the tackling arm hits it's the It's really neck. interesting... Maybe it's the angle the umpire's on, but he gets some, but he doesn't get as many as he used to. Yeah, well, he shouldn't get any because yeah. they, they they have to know he's doing it. Yeah. But I, I yeah, agree he, with you. He's challenging umpires to pay that free, and umpires should just say, no, we're not. And if, he, if there's a legitimate high one that he doesn't get, then um, the umpires could just say, well, sorry, mate, you know, the boy who cried wolf. Mm. Um, I think Jack's making a deep hole for himself. I really do. Well... This new AFL edict may help him because he'll have to stop doing it. Yeah. Because what they're saying is uh, that's prior for you, so there'll be a free kick paid against. Yeah. So let's hope they're stringent with it. I'd yeah. love to see them be stringent with it. Yeah. Don't you reckon most supporters would love it if that happened this weekend, even if it was your own team? Yeah. As long as it's consistent, which it, it's that's the problem with it. Who were you most disappointed with on the weekend? Well, probably. Was it Richmond? Um it wasn't Frio, because I think they were beaten by a good side, and I think there's still plenty of time for Frio. I'll tell you who I was most disappointed with on the weekend. Gold Coast. Yeah, well, that's a fair call. They were they were bloody disappointing at the weekend. Um, it's been a good year. I expect them to play finals next year. It just seemed to me... I mean, they are still within reach of a spot in the eight. Yeah, not with efforts like that. No, but not with efforts. Before the game, they were within reach of a and, spot in the eight. And quarters... It's not a good year until there are no games like yeah, that. Yeah, okay. Okay, yep. Well, I still think it's a better year, but that was a real letdown, and I don't know what to... I don't know. I'm torn. I'm just thinking now. I'm torn between them, and St Kilda was pretty poor as well. Oh, well, actually, that's going back to Friday. Yeah, so that St. was... St Kilda would nigh on unwatchable To be honest, I reckon they were worse, because they have got a spot in the eight riding on it, and that was almost like, nah. It was unwatchable. Can't, well, I can't be bothered tonight. Mm. Can't, that's what it looked like. Which and That's not respectful of your coach. Because the bloke can coach. Brett Ratton can coach. Clearly. I did not like it at all. And the commentary around it was pretty damning on the night. Yeah. I just thought, you know what? It looked like their players got <laughs> jibby with the ball in their hands. And it looked like... When you're trying to shift the ball in the AFL now, opposition defences are so sophisticated and so good and so well drilled. If you don't go quickly, then you have to take the safe option because to get through the press defence, you've got to go quickly. It looked like they all looked at the quick option, didn't have the nur- Co- didn't have the nurries, that's the kahunas, right, the kahunas, yes, to bite it off, and then they tried to take it anyway after consideration, and they were just given the ball back. Just repeatedly, just giving the ball back to the Western Bulldogs in dangerous positions. It was hard to 
to work out how good the dogs were. The forward structure looked really odd at times too. I think Membry was running around the, the wing. Well, he, he had to, mate, because they couldn't get the ball to where he was. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was very poor. And, and, think, and people talk about Max King and whether Max King's playing well, but it's pretty bloody hard to yeah. play well in front of that sort of ball movement. Yeah, it is. So they might have been the most – certainly Gold Coast and Securda were on a par, I think, for poor performances at the weekend. Yeah. And, look, Richmond perhaps too, but then they've been beaten by North. Let's, let's not take any credit away from North Melbourne. It's a good win. So let's go back to North, the uh – the uh, the Jordan McArdle blind squirrel <laughs> act extraordinaire. What changed apart from the coach? What changed? You know what's changed with them? I reckon more consistency from the players we were calling more consistency from. I'm talking to your Simpkins and your Luke Davies Uniaki. I think he's really stepped up the last month. His last three weeks have been exceptional. Zerha, uh, terrific game from Zerha. Tends to do it when a new coach arrives too. Isn't Did it, it when Reece Shaw arrived? Isn't it a great name, Zerha? I, <laughs> it is a good name. <laughs> Cam Zerha. But he tends to do it when a new coach arrives. So all they have to do is change the coach every second week and he'll be BAG, probably win a Brownlow and the Coleman at the same time. The two uh, best names in the AFL are both Zeds, Zerha and Zorko. It's <laughs> Zorko the Great. <laughs> Zorko the Great. So Cam Zerha has a lot to recommend him, doesn't he? He's, he's aggressive. He's, he's not a big Super big bloke, but he's a good size. Um, he can take a mark. He's good on the ground. He's good around goals. It's really, he should be a more consistent player than he is. Yeah, he should be. Absolutely. And I'm not sure what the secret recipe is there, When the, whether it's just time. With it. But he's been around a while. Yeah, he's been around long enough to be playing. So he should be playing more consistently than he is. Um, whoever gets that gig... Um, well done to Lee Adams too, by the way. It's easy caper, isn't it, coaching? Yeah. What do you reckon David Noble would have been thinking? I was talking to my mates about this watching the game. I think he's a decent human, David Noble. I think he's got players' interests at heart. But it, you wouldn't be human if you weren't sitting back thinking like, Where the where's this, this been? And, oh, this doesn't look good. And I didn't like, you know, the Jai Simpkin comments after the game. We gave an emotional interview on Why the ground. Why didn't you like that? Because it's empty, isn't Is it? it? Well, look at what they put up last week and look at what they put up this week. It's easy to flippantly say this one's for Were they you, that no. bad the week before? Um, okay, the week before that. Yeah, I was going to say. Um, I thought Simpkins has been okay a few weeks in a row now, but I, I actually didn't mind that. I thought it was just sending a message to him sitting at home in his lounge room, probably feeling, you know, not too flash. Well, probably happy for his bo- for the boys, but probably thinking, like, where was that? Um, looks reflects bad on me. But I thought it was a message maybe to him. Yeah. I didn't mind it. Okay. One more. Yep. So we talk about Richmond struggles at Marvel. So good good news for Frio. Good news for Frio this week is they get them at Marvel and not the MCG. Oh, it's too far for them to travel. So how are the supporters going to cope? Oh, I don't know. You have yeah. to get on Tram 32, oh. go down Flinders Street, turn... What do you turn? You turn left into <laughs> just trying to get the geography right. We might we might um, take tuk-tuks over there and, and cycle them up from, from Flinders Street. Yeah. They might get, get lost. Yeah. It's Docklands. It's so far away. So far away, yes. Yeah. Um, is Carlton a bit the flip side of Richmond? Carlton's record at Marvel is very good. Mm-hmm. Their record at the MCG, they've won a few, but they've been a bit vulnerable, haven't Why they? Why is that? Well, Marvel, it helps if you're quick. Uh, I think Marvel, you have to defend differently, I reckon, at Marvel than you do at the MCG. The dimensions of the ground are different. Um, so, yeah, I just wonder... Uh, I wasn't. I tipped you long on the weekend, and I just wonder whether I wasn't that surprised. Put it that way. Uh, when Geelong got, I was. Trophy. I picked Carlton. I thought they'd win. What is a good result from Carlton from here? 
I think Carlton just playing the playing finals. No, I think Carlton needs to win a final. Okay, at, at least one. Yeah, so if they play finals, win a final, at least one. That's a result. And you could argue, I reckon one's par, win two. That's so make finals don't win one below par. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Geez, you're harsh. Um, no, I'm not. They're a bit different to Frio. There's an enormous amount of top end draft talent at Carlton. Yeah, there is. You're right. Now Frio well, thirty year rebuild. Frio are more an even team. So I'm still trying to work out what Fremantle can do, and I'm, I'm, I'm I think I'm, I'm for a long time I've been saying, make top six, host a final, win a final. Mm. So a bit similar to what I'm expecting of Carlton, and I think I'm, I'm I'm almost settling on that. We'll know more after Friday night against Richmond and the next Friday against Melbourne. Thing is, so. you've you've urged this earlier in the year, but let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. We did say preseason finals is what we're expecting. I, I didn't I didn't pick them to make finals, but. We would be happy with that result. Win a final. But, no, no, I mean, you, top four is a step. You're never happy with that. Once you're there, you want to do as well as you can. But if I'm, I'm, if I'm saying what is par, like Cameron Smith on the 17th at the road hole. Oh, well done, weekend. Cameron Smith, by the way. Um, 20 beers in there, Claret Joe. Only an Aussie. I love that stuff. <laughs> par is, I think, top six, host a final, win a final. Let's just look at their draw quickly. So Richmond on Friday night at Marvel, coming off losses to Gold Coast and North Melbourne, not the team they were. Melbourne here the following, so two back-to-back Friday games at Optus Stadium the following week. Doggies. Dogs at Marvel. West Coast. West Coast at home, their own home derby. And GWS. And, the, and GWS in Canberra. So I'm saying they can certainly win at Marvel. They can beat Richmond. Yeah. Not saying they will. I haven't made my mind up yet. Uh Melbourne at Optus is going to be really interesting to see where Melbourne's at. We'll yeah. probably get Oliver back by then, probably. Yeah. Uh, dogs at Marvel, well, depends how the dogs go the next couple of weeks because the queue could well be in the rack. West Coast at home, you'd expect them to win that, but it could be Josh Kennedy's. I think Josh Kennedy's last game will probably be Adelaide the week before. But that's what it's looking like. Yeah. But you never know. Um, and then, of course, Giants, who... Toss a coin in the air, Giants. In, probably you'd favour the Giants in Canberra last week, but depends what's riding on it and how they're going. And you know, so interesting. No, Fremantle should beat the Giants they in Canberra. Sh- well, yeah, it's still a it's still a trip, and it's Canberra. Yeah, no, Fremantle should beat the Giants in Canberra. They've gone, they've gone to Canberra and beaten the Giants when Fremantle weren't going as well as they are, and when the Giants were going better than they are. So there's no reason they can't win four of those. Yeah. Well, there you go. You got them in the four. All right, we'll see how we go. Now, Duff, it is time for this. Saddle up your camel. It's time for the Thirsty Camel Mailbag. Yes, thank you to Jack Daniels Old Number 7 Whiskey. We're giving away a 10-pack of whiskey and cola cans this week. Please keep your emails short. And please let us know if you're from Perth or not, because you can't win it. It's very well, hard w, for, if you're outside WA. It's very hard for blind squirrels to read long emails. That's right. And yes, that's exactly right too. I'll try and not lose my and voice. And if they're more well. than two pages, it's very hard for a man with small hands to turn the page. So. True, true. Uh, this one from Vince. Uh, now, I'm not sure if you watched uh, AFL, uh, the On the Couch show last night, but Patrick Bynes, former Category B Eagles rookie, who's had some horrific... Um, Issues over the last few years after suffering a, a disc, a ruptured disc yep. in his neck. Uh, anyway, I'll just read this out from Vince. I just watched the sad story of Patrick Bynes, which nearly brought me to tears. 
Correct me if I'm wrong, but has the incredibly rich powerhouse that is the West Coast Eagles not contributed any financial support to this poor guy through compensation or something as simple as rattling a tin at an Eagles home game? Even though the club may not be obligated to, surely they could take the initiative out of common bloody decency. If not, that is an indictment on the club and they should be ashamed of themselves. Well, look, he was was on um, their list for a year, I believe. Uh, $75,000 was his salary for that year. Actually, I put this more at the fault of the AFL than at one club in particular. Now, normally, the Eagles treat their players pretty well. Am I fair to say that? Yeah, well, they just as a, by way of example, Daniel Venables yes. um, and the, the Eagles and the AFL are funding Daniel Venables' um, treatment in America at the moment, where he's basically trying to get back to leading a normal life after well, his concussion. So, West Coast is prepared to step up and help players. In and I know of former players who've had issues who they have, through no, they didn't need to, and they have helped them as well. But I put this more at the feet of the AFL. So he has, the way it's worked is there's a $4 million fund that's with the AFL Players Association. That's all there is in there. Uh, the AFL is, is basically nine-tenths of nothing that you get compensation through an injury as a past player. Uh, he managed to... Um, eke out a $500,000 payment through AMP, through his his life insurer. And I think there's quite a few AFL players who are insured with AMP. Um, So that's well done to them. Well, it's an insurance policy. but So that's going to help him. He needs 400 of that at least. um, So this is a really sad story. This is a story of someone whose pain was that chronic. He was forced to um, seek his own opioids. Uh, because he, he, beyond the prescription level, yeah, and actually accessed um, uh, voluntary assisted death in Victoria, just to see what 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 it what it could mean for him. That's how much pain he was in. So he's fortunately, Patrick is on the right track back. He's got his comp- some compensation. He's still chasing the AFL for more. Now, Peter Jess, whether you like or like load Peter, I like Peter. I think he fights fights the good fight for the players. He's suggesting, as he has all along, the AFL needs to start pumping serious money into a compensation fund. He's talking $200 million, not not obviously straight away, but or, Duff, does it come down to players sacrificing some of their salary and having a bigger fighting fund through their own union? I'd put it to you that the AFL players are big enough and earn enough money for them to have their own tariff system that enables them to have money in the bank to help players in need. And it could be a, a progressive system where a player on under $100,000 might pay 1% of his salary. Players between 1% and 2 might pay 2%, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera, goes up the scale. We're talking about a player group that earns an average of $300,000 a year. And they are very quick to put their hand out and say, we need 24% of the, the revenue, the broadcast revenue, that sort of thing. Well, how about you take care of yourselves? You know, like you're not children, so how about you act like grown-ups and put enough money aside to to cater for this? So this is incumbent on the AFL Players Association. I think the AFL Players Association... Well, this is what they're there for, quarters. So Paul Marsh is running the AFL Players Association. It is called the AFL Players Association. Okay, well, then they need to get on the front foot and say, this is what we're doing, this is going to cost you the X amount of your salary each week. We... So, look, close... Just a, a very minor example of this going back 40 years. So in 1982, I was playing senior football for South Bunbury in the South West Football League. We paid our way into the gate 
But the, our gate money gave us our insurance. So okay. we were paying for our insurance in case of injury. Um, so, yes, we paid to get in, but that went to something that covered us in case we got injured. Now, I'm not sure how good the coverage was because I, didn't, I never got injured to that degree. But my point, if it was good enough for us to do that then, and I think I got $50 a game, if it was good enough for that, then surely it's good enough for players earning $300,000 a year to put a portion of their income aside to cover themselves and other players who may be in need because of injuries they suffered playing. And, you know, um, it's not just... We we talk a lot about concussion and those ramifications, and, you know, I'm very strong on that, but there there are a lot of players, retired elite footballers wandering around today with all sorts of ailments. Yeah. And and they're falling on hard times because treatment is expensive and they're not covered for it. So I tend to agree with you. I think it's a, it's something that they'll I think they're looking at it now. I mean that they the AFLPA is taking steps in that direction, Duff. So yeah, but what they'll do, 4 million isn't enough though, clearly. What, what they'll do is they'll put their hand out to someone else and say you need to give us money for this. No, no, no. You're all well paid. You're all grown-ups. Get together, work out what this is going to cost a year, and work out how you raise that money and put it in a fund to protect yourselves. Mm. And good luck to Patrick too. I'm yeah, glad absolutely. to see him back on his feet and absolutely. going forward. And, and incidentally, I, I suspect um, West Coast would, if they could. Uh, I mean, I don't see West Coast as a cold-hearted club when it comes to that. Sort no, of thing. no. Well, history suggests that they've helped their past players. Yeah. So, as and even if he was there for a year, I'm sure they have reached out. Uh, this one, a uh, bit more light-hearted, Duff, uh, from Andrew Vitalins. Hi, Duff and Quarters. In recognition of the Bearded Eagles' Josh Kennedy's career, who are some other great or iconic bearded AFL players you have seen? Jimmy Jess. Jimmy Jess the Ghost. I, I've got to tell you a little secret story about him. Go on. That I can actually divulge now. An old, late, great mate of mine, Timmy Atkinson. Remember Timmy? Yes, I do remember Trencherman had a column in the West Australian. Yep. Timmy went for a trip across the Nullarbor. And if you knew Timmy, you, you know, he had an esky in the back and, you know, his, his uh, airbag were about... 80 packs of empty smokes that would have protected him in an accident. Anyway, heads up, he gets to Sejuna, goes to the pub for a beer, bumps into some bloke. It's getting late at night. This bloke says, you come and stay at my, my, my shack on the coast if you like. So he jumps in his car. Apparently there's fork lightning and all sorts of stuff happening. And he gets to this bloke's fishing shack, which is literally on the coast. And he goes down the beach and there's a guy sitting there with a 10-gallon drum, fire leaping out of it. And they start chatting. It's Jimmy Jess. <laughs> the ghost. The ghost. Literally living up to his nickname, the ghost. And, so, so uh, who else? Francis Jackson. Remember Francis Jackson? I remember Francis very- Jackson. Well, I'm going to come up with. I'll, I'll tell you one who you'll. It'll just jump out at. The flying doormat. Bruce Dool. Bruce Dool had. A that beard. was a great beard, and he also had the hair and the headband. Um, uh, Nick Malseski, right? In modern, in recent times, nightmare for me because all I think about when I see a beard like his is the 2012 Grand Final, and he kicks the winning goal against the Hawks. Well, I had nightmares about beards for weeks after that game. I really did. Um, Basha Hooley had a good one. Uh, Basha Hooley, which is more a cultural, that's religious a, yes, beard. Yes, that's a religious thing. Yeah. Maxi Gorn? Yes. Uh, I've got Michael Tuck. One of the great pieces of commentary, by the way, by uh, Dwayne Russell after Max Gorn. It might have been against the Hawks. Yeah. And Max Gorn had absolutely dominated. He took one last mark to interrupt an attack. And Ryan Russell said, that's it. I'm growing a beard. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I was still trying to remember. I still like my intro feature I wrote on him last year, which was uh, Max Gorn is an enigma inside a riddle wrapped in a beard. There you go. Charlie Dixon. Charlie Dixon's a good one. He is a good one. I mentioned him before. Michael Tuck, for the most part of his career. I'll tell you who had a good beard in the waffle. was Brian Peake had a good beard in the he waffle did. for some and, time. And when he went over to Geelong. Yep. Arrived um, in a helicopter outside KP and jumped in there and played his game. Remember that? <laughs> yep, I do. So that's a, that's a good email. A bit of fun there. Oh, Paul Chapman is another one I was thinking of too. Um, this one from Harry McNeil. Hi, Duffin Quarters. With the way Fremantle's season has unfolded, I can't help but look back on Chapman's heroics in round one as a defining moment for this emerging Fremantle group that has shaped this season and to a degree the club's future. As a proud long-term Fremantle fan watching that I... F- that I felt a sad familiarity combined with dread while watching Adelaide storm back into the game that day. Then watching the ball tumble off Ben Key's boot, I started to recite in another season of ups and downs filled with glimpses of what will be one day. Then Chapman does what he does and all those concerns were washed away with an immediate sense of belief in the Fremantle youth and direction of the club. I remember saying to my mates that how we won didn't matter, we just found a way, describing it as a coming-of-age moment for the squad. My mates reminded me that we only just scraped home against an average side in Adelaide, but it felt bigger than that to a Fremantle fan. Now with hindsight, it appears it was the same for the playing group. Showed a young group their pre-season work could pay off. Would be interested to know your thoughts on this, lads. Love the pod, always a weekly listen. But I'm from Vic, Vic so can't win the cans. It's a good it's a good one. Um, there's a couple of things. I think Fremantle believe they were going to play finals. At the start of the Do you? So I don't think they needed the win against Adelaide to reinforce that. I think it, it did oh, reinforce yeah. It did reinforce that. It certainly didn't hurt. It was a good moment in Chapman's in his career, though, wasn't it? Well, he's a good player. I know he is, but sometimes you need to frank that belief with something like yeah, that. Yeah, I reckon Heath Chapman's just a good player, and, and Heath Chapman is going to do enough. I'm going to put a bloody in front of that. Bloody good player. Bloody good player. Yeah. Enough right in enough games to reinforce the fact that he's a good player. The other thing, and I said this before, and I'll say it again, it annoys me. When... Fremantle fans pretend they've been wallowing in misery for 20 years and they've had no joy, etc. They conveniently ignore the seasons when the, the club wins more games than it loses. If you compare David Mundy's career with Josh Kennedy's, um, David Mundy has played in 14 finals and one grand final. Josh Kennedy has played in 17 and two grand finals. Um, they've both... They both have a winning record in Western Derbies. So, in other words, David Mundy has played in more winning Western Derbies than he played in losses. But Frio fans just want some silverware, mate. You know that. Frio fans... Silverware is important. Frio fans have this selective amnesia where 2010 to 2015 didn't exist. Yeah, but there's no silverware. You want some silverware. Ah, uh, what a load of bullshit. Yes, you do. It's bullshit. You want silverware. Premierships are important. They're the ultimate success. If you get there, you want to win them. But, mate... This rubbish that there's one team that succeeds and there's 17 teams that no, fail. No, that's not, that's not true. But it's, I think it's you, rubbish. You, no, but you do want some premiership it's, glory to fall it, back on. It produces all these tiresome football debates where all these irrational supporters walk around feeling sorry for themselves, pretending that they've had no joy in their lives for 20 years. Give me a spell. Mm. Nah, silverware. If me. my team's playing in September and they're doing well in September then I'm engaged and happy in September. And I don't feel like the rest of the season hasn't happened because you lose in a semi-final or preliminary final or a grand Jeez, final. Jeez, I've felt like that a couple of years, I can tell you, when you lose a close GF. Uh, hi, Duffin Quarters. It's clear that in recent times the Eagles just haven't been able to sort out their injury list and bring back players properly. Paul Tucker left the team in 2020. He was the Eagles' senior physiotherapist since 2002. Do you know if he was a victim of the soft cap cuts? 
Is it possible the loss of someone of that quality has been undersold? Is there more to the injury crisis or is it just bad luck? That's from Liam Murphy. So this comes and goes a little bit. A lot of the West Coast injuries have been impact injuries, so therefore there's not a lot you can do about that. There's a few that they're looking at. I think they're looking at the hardness of the surface at Mineral Resources Park and whether they run around on too hard a surface too many times. There's been a few sort of like foot sort of issues, lower leg issues. They're wondering whether they could be prevented. And a few of them are age. So Luke Shuey has developed hamstring issues. He's a very ex- explosive mover. And, and incidentally, congratulations to Luke. He's, he's glued about five or six mm. weeks of good footy together now. He kicked two great goals on the weekend. Probably looks like he'll go around again next year as well. Probably won't be captain, I would have thought. But, but the fact that he's been able to, uh, looks likely to be able to extend his career for another year, I think, is something that I wasn't sure he'd be able to do mm. um, a few weeks back. So well done to him. But it does come and go a little bit. Sometimes you need to tweak things a little bit, and sometimes it's only a little bit. They've had, um, I think their strength and conditioning coach is Warren Coford. He's been there for a long time. So he's been there at times when they've had stuff all injuries. So it would be pretty hard to ping this on him. Certainly Paul Tucker, very good person, uh, a very strong member of their staff. Um, certainly him going wouldn't have helped, but I'm not sure that it explains what's going on at the club. This one from Connor. Um, welcome back, Quarters. Thank you, Connor. A Frio fan once again frustrated by a lack of impotence up front, yada, yada, yada. The real question is, would Luke Jackson solve our biggest Achilles heel? He currently operates in a team that too struggles to score and is a bit of everything without being elite at any a worry given the trade and money he'd cost. Surely you'll like this stuff. Surely Frio are better off throwing the same kitchen sink at another local in Cam Zerha, a proven goal kicker. Given North are still in the box seat for the spoon, would they be able to refuse a trade even at Zerha's hypothetical hypothetical request and pick him up through the preseason draft? P.S. Worrying win-loss numbers when both Logue and Chapman play together in the back line. Causation or correlation, you tell me? I think if you're going to play, Griffin Logue was their best player on the weekend. So the notion that he played in the same team as Chapman, I mean, hello. They did play together a number of times in the back line when they won earlier in the year. Chapman's been missing a few weeks with a hamstring. I don't think on the weekend was one of his better games, hey Chapman, but Griffin Logue played very well. I would have thought there were others that were more to blame than than Heath Chapman. Um, as far as the... Zerha's a third forward so do you go gangbusters after one of them? And I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm not entirely sold on the Luke Jackson trade. I think it's going to cost a lot. And You've I'm, never been sold on it. No, I'm just not sure what it delivers. Like, like it delivers a Ruckman forward to me who's not playing as well For as... For me, it delivers a forward Ruckman because he's not going to play Ruck ahead of Darcy. Sorry, yeah, yeah, sorry. And at the moment... He's not as good as Rory Lobb. Now, he may be better than Rory Lobb next year, or the, and if he's better than Rory Lobb next year, he'll probably be better than Rory Lobb for the rest of his career. But right now, he's not better than Rory Lobb. This one from Red Dog from Morley WA. Hey, Duffin Quarters, long-time follower of the podcast. Was just wondering, wanting to get your opinions on a few issues surrounding the game. That I sent rule for non-free kicks is non-existent compared to dissenting on a decision. True. Good call. Also, opinions on holding the ball when the player drags it in, then it's loose, and the opposition player drags it back into the player. The player has his hands up, gets pinned holding the ball. Great podcast, guys. Um, interesting with the dissent rule for non-free kicks. The dissent rule for free kicks, it seems to have – it's very discriminatory now. Some 
I've seen some players berate umpires and get away with it. Yeah, I, I don't know what happened to that. I liked it better when it was zero tolerance. And, and as usual, the players squealed like stuck pigs. And instead of just sticking to their guns and changing player behaviour, the the AFL went weak at the knees and and copped a bit of media criticism over it and they buckled. I, I would have thought they just should have stuck to their guns and if you if you even question an umpire's decision, you were leaving yourself open to the 50. He's, he's absolutely right that if you question a non-decision, yeah. th- th- that appears to be allowed, dissent allowed. Um, and the one about dragging the ball in, if you go to ground and you drag the ball in, it is your responsibility that the ball goes clear. So therefore, they have the right to drag the ball back in under you. That's, and it's, it's to discourage players from losing their feet and causing a series of ball-ups. So don't go to ground and don't drag the ball back Isn't in. Isn't it interesting? When you were a kid, it used to be a scramble. Well, when I grew up in Melbourne, in the mud heaps of Melbourne or outer eastern Melbourne, it was all on your feet, you know, just, sorry, all on your knees yep. in the mud. Now the first thing you tell your junior footballers is keep don't your feet. Keep your feet. As you should. Yeah. Uh, Hi Duff and Quarters This one from Julian from South Perth I think people have forgotten that Fremantle's still fielding One of the youngest teams in the comp With the exception of a few bad games They've been remarkably consistent all season However in the Sydney game They just look really flat and fatigued Is this a factor people sometimes forget about With young sides And are they at risk of falling over In the last month and a half Maybe Certainly young players can get tired I'm not sure that Fremantle are that young through the middle um, you can adjust their training. I, I mean, again, what do you expect of Fremantle this year? See, I've never been a flag mantle person. I wanted to see them play finals. I think they will. Um, that's not certain yet. I mean, I think 13 wins would guarantee it. So they need one more win in their last five games. Um, and as they've played well throughout the year, I've kind of revised that up a little bit. I've never been convinced about them top four. There have been times during the year when they've played as well as anyone. So... If they can strike another one of those veins of form and get there and they're in good shape and they're playing well, then you take a run at it and you leave it all out there. But I'm still thinking they're more top six than top four. Well, thank you for your emails. Thank you to Thirsty Camel. Please send them into this address. Send your mail to Duff and Quarters at wanews.com.au. Thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today. We've been brought to you by TabTouch. Those with the touch, better your bet, download TabTouch today. Please gamble responsibly. Please call Gambler's Help on 1800 858 858 if you encounter any difficulties. Quarters and I will be back on Thursday to try and tip you a winner. If you're a fan of the podcast, why don't you get in touch? Send your thoughts to the Thirsty Camel mailbag at duffandquarters at wanews.com.au. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and of course, tell your mates. Thanks for listening. This has been the Duff and Quarters podcast on the game. You know who? It's unbelievable.